Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, Pastor Tim with you again today as we are talking about our church family. And I want to just pray as we get started. God, we just ask you to speak to our hearts and that you will encourage us and build us up today through your word and your spirit will just energize us for who you made us to be and what you've called us to do. And as a church family, Lord, we pray your blessings on our family, each and every one right now, that God, you would strengthen each one. You would bring healing and strength to each one of us, that you'd give us wisdom and guidance, and that you just continue to help us grow stronger and closer together as a family under your headship, under your lordship. And we thank you for giving us each other uh, to just go through life together and to build each other up and to be there for each other. So Lord, I just pray your blessings on uh, this message and on each one of us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week I was talking about uh, the purposes of the church. There's five purposes of the church. And I just want to briefly review those. And then today I want to talk about the structure of the church. Now, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about really us, the family of God. I believe every one of us is meant to be a part of a local church or grafted into or planted into a local church family. Because the scriptures are filled with all of these uh, commands and instructions of how we are to love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another, even correct one another. We're to grow together. And so God's design is the church, the local church, the family, uh, you know, living together, doing life together, worshiping together, growing together, doing all these things together. So as our family uh, is growing. Uh, we are just talking about how God has called us to the purposes of the church, what those are, and how God's structuring us, and, and, and what a blessing it is to be a part of the family of God. So the five purposes of the church, as I mentioned last week, is worship. Am I putting God first? Am I putting God first? For us, um, one of our ways of expressing that worship and coming together to worship God is the sabbatical, or not the sabbatical, but the Sabbath, which is for us Sunday, right? So I'm encouraging every one of us to make a number one priority to be in church on Sunday, to worship God together. That is part of what we're created to do. We are created to worship God. Uh, the second purpose is fellowship. Am I doing life with others? God made us to need other people. We all have this great, huge need to belong. We need relationships. Uh, we need to come out of isolation, come out of uh, individualism, come out of doing things on our own because we were designed to be in relationships with each other. So am I doing life with others? And in our church, we encourage everyone to be a part of life groups. We have different seasons of life groups. We have a season coming up in October. And I hope that you will be a part of one of those life groups so that you can just establish more uh, healthy and strong relationships because we need each other. We're better together. The third purpose I mentioned last week is discipleship. And the question with that one is, am I becoming like Jesus? No one's perfect, but we are becoming perfect. Uh, we're all growing to be like Jesus. And Jesus has called us to follow him, to be like him and to do what he was doing. And so there's always this growth in a Christian's life. That's what's supposed to be there. We're supposed to be growing and maturing and becoming more like Jesus. And I believe the best tool for that 
is our personal devotions every single day. A daily time with God where we take the Bible out, we read it, we pray, we get into God's presence, we let Him speak to us, teach us. The Holy Spirit will guide us and teach us. He will show us who Jesus is, who we are, what God's doing in our lives. And so I, I'm just challenging you, every one of us in our family, to make a commitment to daily devote to God, to read the Bible, to pray, to seek Him. That's how we grow the most, is when we hear directly from God in His presence, with the Word, with His Spirit, and then, of course, gathering together. So the fourth one, uh, purpose for the church is evangelism. The question there is, am I sharing the good news? Now, this isn't necessarily a program. This is just living a spirit-filled life. Being in tune with what God is saying to you as he shows you someone, as he reveals a need to you, as he puts someone on your heart, um, there can be spontaneous moments, there can be planned moments that God, through his spirit, is leading you to share good news, to give hope, to pray for someone, to invite someone to church, to just go over and serve someone. All of that is evangelism. It's sharing the good news. It's being a vessel of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage all of us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let God lead you in your daily, daily life uh, to see what He sees and to share and say what He wants you to share and say. And the fifth and final one is ministry. Am I serving the family? God has given all of us gifts for the benefit of the family. Don't be too busy to do what God's called you to do and to be who God's called you to be. Ministry is sacrifice, but it's also what we were meant to do. And when we do what we were meant to do, when we give of what God has given to us, we are replenished. We come alive. We find that purpose. And so I invite everybody to find their place on the dream team. Find a place to serve the body of Christ. Do something with the passions and talents and giftings that God has given you to bless other people in the family. Now, these are our purposes. This is, a, this is who you are. This is what we're made to be. This isn't about religion. This is what Jesus has done for us and how he shaped us to serve, how he's made us to worship given us this need to do relationships together, given us good news and commissioned us to share that, and how he has called all of us to be like him. So this is who we are. This is the purpose of our life as we do this relationship with God together. Now today, how is our family structured? In other words, it's not really our family. We are a part of God's family. And Jesus is the head of the church. So it's his family. And how has he structured our family so that we can be successful and we can thrive in the purposes he has for us? He didn't just say, go get them, but he has given us a structure and, and, and is equipping us to be successful in that. You know, structure is important for everything. Everything that is successful has a successful or strong structure, right? Everything needs a healthy structure to thrive. A building without a proper structure will collapse. <laughs> a business without a healthy structure will flounder, right? And a classroom of eighth graders without a strong, <laughs> without a strong uh, structure will turn into chaos. And a family without a healthy structure um, will not thrive. And so what is the structure that Jesus has given us as a family, the church? 
Well, first of all, our family is run by Jesus. Okay, Ephesians 5, 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So we see very clearly Jesus is the head of the church. So here at Real Life, Jesus is the boss. He's the head. We listen to him. Just like I said, the analogy of the body, all of the commands you know, for our body come from our brain, from our head. And when the, when the commands come from our brain, it shoots to the different variety of parts to make things happen. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the head. He's in control. And we are all thankful for that because he's merciful, he's gracious, he's wise, and he has given his life for us. We can trust him that his wisdom, his direction, his guidance is absolutely pure and perfect for each and every one of us. So Jesus is in charge of real life. He's the head of our family. Now, but he also has given us giftings and layers of care that he's appointed people so that we have a healthy structure. So beyond him being the head, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we see that Jesus has a goal for us, his family. And there's like seven things just in this one little passage. He wants to equip you. He, there's this idea of every one of us has a, something to serve. We're all serving. We have something to be equipped to do, acts or works of service. There's the building up of the family. There's the unity of the faith that we are to come into. There's this growing in the knowledge of Jesus, growing to be like him and to know him. There's a maturity that's spoken here. And then it concludes with uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. I remember what Paul said. It's like, I'm not there yet, but boy, I'm striving forward to lay hold of all for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. There's more for you and there's more for me. And we get that fullness in the family, in the body of Christ functioning together. So we see the goal of Jesus is to equip you because there's works of service he has for you to do, to build you up, to bring you into unity, all of us into unity together, uh, where we're growing in the knowledge of Christ, where we're growing up and maturing, and we are experiencing the fullness of Christ. So these five different um, uh, people that he mentions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that is one layer of care uh, that, that Christ has appointed for the benefit of the church to do this. I, I'm called to be a pastor teacher. That's what I've been called to do. It's, um, but it's not a title of power. It is a calling. It's a title of function. God has called me to serve in this capacity. But we believe in our church in the priesthood of all believers. Now, what that means is that we believe every single one of us has a grace upon us to serve and love one another 
in the way that Christ has called us. Now, I'm called to be a pastor teacher, but each and every one of us have a calling or a ministry or uh, works of service that God is calling us to do. And so we all are contributing from the roles that God has given us. Um, Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, Jesus himself is the one who apportions his grace to you, to me, for the things he's called me to do and you to do. Every one of us. So we're all in this together. We're a priesthood of believers. We all have a ministry. We all have something that Christ himself is calling us to do. So in addition to these fivefold, what's referred to as the fivefold ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, many of those roles are outside of the local church and serve the um, churches at large, like apostles, prophets, and evangelists. But then a lot of times uh, locally, in a local church, you'll see a pastor slash teacher who is called to a local church to equip the people in that family. For instance, uh, I have some people in my life who I would consider has an apostolic uh, ministry, and they serve uh, many pastors and many churches. And uh, I have some that, that I see pointing to me in that way. And also evangelists who travel around, travel the world, travel our nation. And they come to churches as well. And they just they have an anointing to evangelize and, and reach the lost. Uh, and prophets who have just this uh, a prophetic calling on their life, speaking words of God and building up the body of Christ. And then often you'll see pastors and teachers who God has called to lead the local family. Okay, so that's one layer of care that Christ has put into place to care for the family, to care for the body of Christ, the structure that he has given us. Another layer of care, in addition to fivefold ministries in the local church, is elders. Elders. So we have elders in our church as well. We actually have six elder couples in our church. And elders... If we look through the biblical model, the biblical model is elders are appointed in every church. Acts 14.23 says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So as Paul and Barnabas were planting churches, they would circle back and then find the leaders and they would appoint elders to care for the people. Okay, biblical elders also, we see in Scripture, maintain sound doctrine and theology. We see, uh, you know, we see this in Acts chapter 15 when the apostles and elders were meeting together to consider um, the, the Gentiles and what God was doing in terms of the Gentiles coming to Christ. And so they had to wrestle with the Scriptures and pray uh, to the, and get the leading of the Spirit and the counsel of one another to figure out what God was doing. And so... Elders have that responsibility to maintain sound doctrine and theology for the local family. And so that's what our elders do too. Also, a biblical model of elders is to oversee the affairs of the church. 1 Timothy 5, 7 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So there's a lot of administrative uh, tasks that the elders oversee, our finances, our buildings, um, you know, our properties, and just the, the, the services and the ministries that God has directed us 
to have here in our family. So that's what the affairs of the church look like. And also biblical uh, elders pray and minister to the family, care for us, care for individuals in the family. James 5.14 says, if, if any of you are sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It goes on to say, in the prayer of a righteous man, uh, you know, will avail much. And so we, we, we see the role of elders is also to care for, pray for, minister to uh, the body of Christ, the family of God. Now, all of this comes, though, from our model. And our model is Jesus, right? As I mentioned before, Jesus is not only the head of the church, but he is the chief shepherd. First um, Peter 5, 4 says, the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd. John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he's the chief shepherd, and he has called elders and pastors to be the under shepherds. So we are to model, as a pastor and as an elder, um, and our elders, we are to model Jesus, how Jesus laid his life down for the sheep, how he gave everything, how he loved, how he cared for, how he taught. Um, and we are to be that to uh, the, the family of God. And so elders as under shepherds, we model our lives after the good shepherd. We're accountable to Jesus. Jesus has appointed elders um, to do, uh, to care for the body in his name, right? And through his anointing. So Acts 20, 28, Paul is saying this and he says, keep watch over yourselves. He's talking to the elders, by the way. Keep watch over yourselves in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So God has placed elders in place uh, through the Holy Spirit to care for each and every one of us. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, Jesus, bought with his own blood. And so the admonition here and the, and the commission is to be a shepherd, to do what shepherds would do for sheep, Elders are to do for people, to feed them, to care for them, to love them, to rescue them, uh, to, to, you know, to watch over them, and to pray for them, all these things. And so uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 talks to elders. Uh, the first couple of verses, first five verses says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will, be, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So here's the instruction. Be shepherds. Of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then Peter writes to the people, to the congregation, if you will. And he says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so we see um, Jesus is our chief shepherd. He gives us the gift of caregivers or under shepherds of elders to love us and care for us. And, and support us and help us. And so then our role as 
congregants or members is to submit to them in a way that we recognize they are a gift from God to care for us. So we respect and we honor them, but we're also uh, receiving from them uh, what God has given to them for us so that we will thrive and we can be successful. So the summary of the duties of a biblical eldership is this, to feed, guard, guide, correct, and nurture the family of God, to teach the word of God, to oversee doctrinal matters, to pray for the sick, and to share in the laying out of hands to confirm or place leadership in the local church and to direct the affairs of the church. And so I'm really um, thankful for our elders here at Real Life. And you can look at the qualities uh, that, and, the, and the qualifications of eldership in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And so we have godly men and women who love the Lord, who would love us, who are doing their very best to care for us, and we are so thankful for our elders. But there's an additional layer of care uh, that we see in the Bible that I'm excited to announce we are going to begin to put into place here at Real Life. And that additional layer of care and love is deacons. We've never had deacons in our church, but we've had a lot of people doing what deacons do. But now we're just being called of God to put a little bit more structure to it so that each and every one of us is cared for, is prayed for, is supported, and loved. My goal, and I believe Jesus comes from Jesus, is that there isn't a single one of us that feels unloved or forgotten or, or left to the side, but that we as a family are truly seeking to love one another. And so as we look at that, I would like to say that uh, in next week, next Sunday, we're going to be ordaining some deacons, and I'll also be sharing some more information about what this is going to look like and, uh, and how this is going to be good for our whole, our whole body and our whole church. But just to remember, uh, the, the goal is that every member is loved that we're known, that we're prayed for, that we're cared for. And so we see in Acts chapter 6, uh, as the church was growing, the disciples had to do something. They couldn't keep up with all the needs of the people. And, and so they gathered together, and in Acts chapter 6, I want to read for you what they did. They actually established another layer of care called deaconship. So in those days, this is Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Gratian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what's going on here is that there are some needs in the body or in the family that are being overlooked. People are being forgotten. Um, people are being hurt because the, the church has grown and they're, they're not able to keep up with all of the, the needs of the people. And so there's a problem. There's people feeling unloved. There's some needs going unmet. There's some people feeling hurt or left out. And, and I have seen this happen firsthand in our church and it breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart to not be able to uh, love everybody, keep up with everybody, to be there for everybody. And so the Lord has led us over the last couple of years to this point to bring in this extra layer of love and care for our family. And so we have the same problem. So in verse 2 it says, So the twelve apostles 
gathered all the disciples together in this, in this church, right? And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. What they're saying is, we are called to be apostles. We are called to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to reach the lost, to defend the gospel. And that's what we are called to. That's our grace. That's what God wants us to do. We can't neglect the word of God and prayer. We need to continue to do this, but there's needs over here that are going unmet. So we need to do something, but we can't do it all. All right. So then he says in verse three, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. So here we go. These are the, this is the first, these are the first deacons in the, in the church. Choose seven who are filled with the spirit, filled with wisdom. And, and, uh, and it says, we will turn this responsibility over to them. They're going to be responsible. They're going to do this. They're going to take care of these needs. They're going to watch over this part of, of the body of the family. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We're going to continue to do what God's called us to do, but we need help and find some people who have the spirit in them, who have this reputation, who uh, have wisdom, who the people respect, and, and we will give this to them. It'll be their responsibility. And so it says this proposal in verse five, pleased the whole group. Everyone's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's great. We'll get people's needs. You keep doing what you're doing because it's working and God's, that's who you are and God. And then we can find people that have a heart to do this. And that's a great idea. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I don't know if I just slaughtered their names. I probably did. A convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles. The apostles prayed for them and laid their hands on them. That's exactly what we're going to do next Sunday for the deacons that we're going to put into place. Our elders are going to pray for and lay hands on those that, that we have selected that we see is filled with the heart of God, a love of, for God and a love for people to put them into place to serve our body. And verse seven, listen to this. This is what's so cool. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What happened? There was a bottleneck of, of needs not being met. And as soon as the structure uh, was tweaked or added to accommodate the growth of the church, the church began to explode again because the apostles kept giving themselves to what they were called to do in terms of preaching and praying and ministering the word. And they raised up another layer of, of, uh, of leaders to care for the needs of the church. And then the word of God spread rapidly and the disciples increased. The, the number of people being saved increased. And uh, the family was healthy and strong and vibrant and needs were being met. That's what I uh, believe uh, is uh, the healthy structure for our church and how God has led us to this point. So I'm super excited about the people that God has raised up 
the elders have searched and talked with and invited uh, many people into this role. And uh, next Sunday, we will introduce them to you and put them into, into place. And we believe that they have a heart for God and a heart for our family. So I want to close this message with this. And then next week, I'm going to talk more about the deacon and the role and exactly what that's going to look like for all of us. But really, all of this comes out of Jesus' model in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, Jesus is having the Last Supper. In a few hours from this conversation, Jesus was going to be betrayed and, and the process of going to the cross was going to be initiated. This is his last intimate moments with his disciples before the cross. He is sharing with them his greatest lesson. He saved the best for last. And so what does he do? He washes their feet. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal, did you hear that? He now showed them the full extent of his love, what he's about to do. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the, his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So he said, well, then I'm all in. Wash every part of me. <laughs> and Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said this, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. I am, I am Lord. I am master, I am teacher, I am rabbi. That is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because washing the feet was a servant's job. Obviously, there was no servant around at the Last Supper, and Jesus took on the role of the servant. He humbled himself. He went from Lord, Master, Teacher, <laughs> Creator of the universe, right? All the way down to stripping down to a servant's level, dignity, clothing, function, everything, knelt down and washed the dirt off his disciples' feet. And that's why Peter was like, no, no, you, don't, you shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus said, well, You'll understand later why I'm doing this. 
And remember, it said, now he was showing them the full extent of his love. Jesus went from the highest to the lowest. In fact, he went even lower than this in a few hours when he went to the cross. And he surrendered his life, literally surrendered his life. But here, he is figuratively surrendering his life. He is modeling the role of a servant to his apostles, to his disciples, with his last intimate moments with them. He was showing them the most important lesson he could. And he said this, now that I have done this, I have taken the role of a servant before you. You ought to take the role of a servant with one another. Do you see the structure in the church, eldership, deacons, whatever, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those are not uh, titles. Those are not power positions. Those are functions of service. And anyone who is in any of those roles that's doing it right is doing it like Jesus. It's serving. We're serving. We are to serve one another. Every one of us is to take the posture of a servant and to love one another and serve one another. And that's the heart of our elders. That's the heart of our deacons. That's my heart is to serve and to love, to love God and to love you and to love our family. And Jesus went on to say, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the example. I have done this. You've seen me do this. Now you do it for one another. He doesn't just tell us what to do. Jesus always does it first. He didn't just tell us to give our life away. He gave his life away. And then he says, and I want you to do the same thing. Follow in my footsteps. He says, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus always says it that way. It's always an upside down world. The kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom of this world. Jesus says, if you want to go up, go down. If you want to be blessed, give, give, give your life away. Take, if you want to be great in the kingdom, become everyone's servant. Go all the way down, go all the way down. And so that is the heart of our deacons. That's the heart of our elders. That's my heart. That's the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you to do the same in your own heart. Find out what is the grace that Christ has given to you and turn that back around and release that with a servant's heart towards those around you. You will be blessed if you do what Jesus has called you to do. You will be blessed. My goal in the next, uh, you know, as, as we've talking about our family these next couple of weeks is that every member is loved. And that looks like to me that you're known, uh, that you're prayed for, and that you're cared for. Love to me is not just a word, it's action. It's action. And so I'm asking our deacons, our elders, you know, to know each one of our members, to build a relationship with each one uh, under their care, and to pray for each one, to pray for you. So I want you to be known and have a relationship. I want you to be prayed for, and I want you to be cared for. So that's where we're going as a family. I'm really excited that we get to do life together. Let me pray for you and pray for your family today. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity 
to be a part of this incredible journey called life with such a great group of people, the family, the real life family. Lord, I just thank you for the blessings that each one is to me and to one another. Lord, we just continue to pray. I pray your blessings upon the one watching this right now, that you just continue to quicken in them their calling, who they are, what you've called them to do, and give them a servant's heart, Lord. Let them be like you. Let each and every one of us become like you, Jesus, that we might be blessed. We might grow together as a family, grow in maturity, grow in unity, grow in knowledge, grow in the fullness of who you are as we are continually equipped and uh, we are built for the, the, the services, the works of services that you have called us to do. Lord, we thank you for all of this. We thank you for our family. We pray your blessings on us all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.